Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, and then a portion of verse 33. Hear now God's Word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then in verse 33, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And thus far the reading of God's word. And all God's people said, Amen. As we continue our look at what the Bible says about marriage, we take our stand, as we always do, unashamedly on the authority of Scripture. That's the answer to every issue. Now certainly as we read the Bible, we run across things, we run across verses, we run across statements that on the face of it alarm us because they may go against our grain. They may think, now wait a minute, I didn't think God was like that, or why is God requiring this? And, And so our first reaction might be one thing, but our commitment to follow God, to hear His Word, is the foundation thing, and that His way of thinking his, his thoughts are to become our thoughts. And as I've often found, and I know you have too, that when we go to the Bible then and we begin to study it more carefully, we find out when it's put in its whole context, when we're able to see it in the light of everything God says, it begins to make sense. It begins to come together. It begins to be lovely. And we delight in having been corrected. God created marriage, and He regulates it as well. He lays the tracks for the train to run on, and true liberty is only found on the tracks. Marriage is a covenant or a government that was designed for a mission. And while there have been many who have twisted what Scriptures have to say about men and about women and about marriage... We will not allow those perversions of the Bible to stand. That's one of the great things about the Bible, that people have done a lot of things in the name of God that they shouldn't have. They've even done things in the name of the Bible they shouldn't have, but the Bible itself corrects that. The Bible condemns sin wherever it is, and I would say especially sin that's justified in the name of God. That's blasphemy. So the Bible is its own corrector. And so, they too must be corrected. Deviation from the tracks is always devastating. Ideas always have consequences, and wrong ideas have devastating consequences. And so, the good news is, as a congregation of Christians, we do not begin this consideration of marriage in groups who are opposed to one another. Rather, we come together, men and women, to learn more perfectly what God has to say to all of us. God loves us. His law is about love. His rules, His direction is all there because He loves us and He wants us to know His blessings. The world always seeks to do things their own way, but the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man... That might be popular at any given moment. That might be the trend. But the way thereof is death. Ladies, 
Will you marry me? Is the most important question you will ever answer under the sun. In many cultures and throughout history, it wasn't a question that you had any opportunity to answer at all. Marriages were arranged for a variety of reasons, and many, many of those marriages produced loving homes, but many did not. And the same can be said of our modern Western approach. Nancy Piercy cites a documentary on the issue of women's value in the ancient world, which said the three deadliest words in all the world are, it's a girl. Girls and women were property and are still in many places of the world to be used and disposed of at will. Piercy went on to say that, quote, the world desperately needs the biblical view of a woman's worth. Western Christian cultures have produced more liberty and elevated both women and marriage to a higher status than ever before. The world has forgotten what marriage was like before the spread of Christianity. Christian marriage has brought enormous benefits to women around the world, and thus gratitude is in order as we begin a discussion of this topic. We must also remember that as greater liberty and choice came to women in the matter of who they married, a certain risk also shifted to her as she assumed this greater responsibility. A young woman found herself more and more in a position of making this most important decision. The pressure was now on fathers and mothers to grant her personal desires or else face strained relationships. But remember, we are all responsible for the choices that we do make. Buyer's remorse is not uncommon. Choose wisely. Now, submission. Submission of one person to another is commonly described in various forms in the Christian faith. In other words, we are all called to submit to someone. Or in various relationships, we are called to be in positions of submission. There is the submission of wives to husbands, of slaves to masters, of Christians to one another, of Christians to God, or to the ruling authorities of the day. And so our text today is going to narrow in and address a particular aspect of submission, but we should keep in mind that whatever principles are here about submission are going to apply to all of us at some place or in many places throughout our life. It even changes throughout life. You go from being children to being adults. You might be an employee or later be an employer. There's all kinds of changing relationships that call for the principles applied here. But our text today cuts to the chase as it opens up this section to talk about family and in particular marriage and simply says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, our submission to the Lord is absolute for men and women, but our submission to other authorities has its limits. And it's important as we begin, that we begin with an understanding of what submission isn't. 
I found this explanation in an article on the Reason for Living website. And while I don't normally go for these, as I read it, I really liked it, and I'm going to read it. I think it was really helpful. And so it's a, it's a longer quote here. But listen, because again, what's important is we talk about something. We, might, we tend to hear a word and automatically certain things pop into our mind. But sometimes we need to back up and make sure that we understand what the Bible is saying. And so here we go. There are a lot of misconceptions about submission and submissive people. Before we can intelligently consider what the Bible has to say on the subject of submissive wives, we need to be clear that these miscon- that we need to clear these misconceptions out of our way. And let me begin with a few simple statements about the nature of submission. Number one, only a strong person can be submissive. Number two, submissiveness is not timidity. It is not servility, and it is not subservience, it is not docility, and it is not degrading, and it is not a sign of weakness. Three, submission is a sign of strength, not weakness, and a degree, and a greater degree of submission requires a greater degree of strength of personal character. Submission is an act of the will. It is the result of a choice, a decision. The act of submission can only come from a choice that a person makes. Submission cannot be forced upon a person. Either a person submits of their own free will or they do not submit at all. Submission is a gift that one person chooses to give to another person. By contrast, oppression is the act of extracting something from a person against their will. Submission and oppression are therefore opposite qualities of a relationship and are not even remotely similar. The submission of a good wife is a glorious thing that is intended to help her husband, uh, help her and her husband to have a contented life together. Problems in life and in marriage are more or less inevitable, but when a woman is submissive to her man, it is much more likely that those problems can be resolved harmoniously, without unpleasant quarreling and without bitterness and resentment. Those people who look down on submission as if it were something demeaning, degrading, or humiliating are merely showing that they have no understanding of what submission is and that they are quite ignorant of its power. If you are a Christian wife who has been feeling uncomfortable with the biblical demand that you submit to your husband, then I hope these statements have perked perked up your interest and given you a glimpse of the brighter cheerfulness ahead. Being submissive to your husband does not mean, as so many ignorant detractors of submission seem to think, that you should be an empty-headed bimbo or that you should have no opinions of your own or that you should be like a doormat. A submissive wife is one who makes a choice not to resist her husband's will. That is not to say that she cannot disagree with him or that she cannot express her opinion. Indeed, and I think this is important, the submissive wife is by definition a strong woman and will usually therefore have her own opinion, opinions, and these may often be different from the opinions of her husband. Can she express them? Of course she can, and indeed might often be wrong 
for her not to express them since she is, after all, supposed to be her husband's helper, not his slave or his doormat, expressing her opinions and giving advice and suggestions will often be a valuable part of the help that she gives her husband. End quote. But I will remind you that any kind of submission is not easy because we are all prideful and selfish. Paul has already told us, leading into this text, right before this, to submit to one another. And this sets the table for this more particular form of submission. So again, it's important that we understand that submission and subjugation are not the same thing and that our relative positions in life call for us to exercise different responsibilities and duties. Subjugation involves coercion and force. Men must subdue the earth, not their wives. Submission is a voluntary yielding to authority. As creatures of God, such, such submission is not optional. Rather, it is voluntary. In other words, wives yielding to your husband's God-given authority is something you decide to do or not to do. Again, it's an act of your will. It means you offer ready compliance with a cooperative spirit. And, of course, we all know that you can have a person with an outward compliance with an inward resistance and rebellion. You've seen it in your children, right? Further, submission does not mean that a wife gives outward consent to her husband's rules and then promptly does an end run around them when he's not looking. It doesn't mean that she gives an outward show of submission and then begin to manipulate him by various means like pouting or whining or nagging or sexual coolness or whatever. Now, this is my one note about husbands. Because I don't want, uh, there's a line uh, in a song I like, the large print giveth and the fine print taketh away. Um, I don't want to take away from the power and the impact of this text. It is speaking to wives. And wives need to hear it. And not, we don't want to diminish it by saying, okay, well, let me, let me jump ahead and tell you all the things the husbands need to do. We're going to get there. We, uh, but we must... Uh, So we'll spend time dealing with the responsibilities and duties of husbands toward their wives, and indeed, those are going to be weighty and large. However, we must resist the current temptation to water down the biblical instructions for wives. John says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, notice the context of what Paul says here. The wife is to submit to her husband as to the Lord. So what our text is saying is that the wife's submission to her husband is primarily for the Lord himself, just as it said in verse 21, we submit to one another in the fear of God. That's the context of what's going on. God is watching. God has required this. God is who we are serving. She is not necessarily, and often isn't, an inferior person. Remember, there are many, many things that make up the value of a person. We talk about talents and gifts, various assets that individuals have. 
And so certainly there are many women who are superior persons to many men. And in many cases, a superior woman is the wife and an inferior man in some respects. It could be any number of ways. In fact, I just simply say that's almost always true. This means, uh, however, but in marriage, she does occupy a, a, a subordinate position. This means she has different responsibilities and duties than her husband, while they both share the same mission. That mission, at least two parts of it, we read in Genesis 2, first of all, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him male and female. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So that was part, the first part of the mission. And then kind of an extension of that we read about in Malachi 2, which says, she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. So one of the ways that that subduing of the earth is going to take place is by the husband and wife having children and raising them to the glory of God to go out and multiply this subduing to the glory of God throughout the earth. Both husband and wife are under God's authority. And when submission is motivated by our love for Christ, then everything else will fall in place and frankly no other argument is needed. That's sufficient. Why should I submit to my husband? Because God said so. Now, again, there's lots of things to think about here. But if you say, what is the motive? What is driving this? What is the thing that's going to keep me on track on those hard days? That's the thing. Notice also that this is not a general call for all women or any woman in particular to submit to all men or to to a man other than her husband. There would be an exception for a father overseeing a daughter, but, but this is not saying all women submit to all men or that you submit to any other particular man. There are many insecure, chest-thumping men who are an embarrassment to their sex when it comes to this point. Unfortunately, many have tried to use biblical doctrine, the biblical doctrine of male headship to promote this false notion. Paul is very careful in how he articulates the submission that is called for. We see this pictured in, a, in our wedding ceremony when a father gives away his daughter... And he transfers that covenantal authority, and it happens at a particular moment. Now, the first reason the text gives, we're going to get to the second reason next week. The first reason that's given is for the husband is the head of the wife. This speaks of the creation order. First Adam is created, and then Eve is taken from Adam We are sent back to the book of Genesis where we learn of this relationship between the first husband and the first wife. Man was created first and made Lord of creation. Woman was created out of man and made to be his helper. Genesis 2, 20-22. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its 
place and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Adam was now responsible for his wife. She was taken from his side. She was brought to his side. And so then the two were made one flesh. The Apostle Peter says, Husbands likewise dwell with them in an understanding way, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now, this is not a derogatory remark about women. He is basically saying that she is different than man, and he should always keep that in mind. He may not treat her as an equal in these, uh, in these ways. Now, so generally speaking, men are physically stronger than women. Generally speaking, obviously there are particular exceptions. But generally speaking, and so he may not treat her as equal in these areas, but must, must honor and respect her and guard and protect her accordingly. Her primary function is to make up for what is lacking in him. And he is lacking a lot. She complements his deficiencies, and together they become one. By the way, all the great men I know look up to their wives. In submission to God, the husband is responsible for himself, his wife, and his family. The wife is to help and assist him in order to enable him to function in that call that God has given him as Lord of creation. And God has assigned both positions. The team of oxen, this team of oxen, yoked together in covenant, pulled together to cultivate the field and produce a crop. As Christians, Paul says, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But what is also clear is that there are limitations and prohibitions. A woman may not seek to be a man or to be manly. A woman may not seek, excuse me, she should not seek to usurp the position of her husband and to wear the pants in the family. God creates and appoints these positions. Now I'll be dealing with the abdicating husband in an upcoming sermon. What do you do if my husband won't lead and my husband won't wear the pants? That's a separate issue we'll address later. But to be in submission, uh, to be in submission to a head is no shame. First Corinthians 11.3 proves this beyond a doubt. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. In what sense is God the Father the head of Christ? And the answer is found in what we call the economic trinity. Now it's called the ontological trinity, which addresses the being of God. We would say the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal and eternal persons. There's no difference. They're fully God. As persons, they are equal. For the purpose of salvation, in other words, for the purpose of the mission, the Son has subordinated himself to the Father, and the Spirit has subordinated himself to the Father and the Son. It's a voluntary submission in order to accomplish the mission. 
It is essential for the work, and there is no shame in any of it. Now, someone will say, wait a minute. I know many cases where a wife is much more, a much more able person than her husband. She is clearly more brilliantly gifted, and it's obvious that her husband is her inferior in many, if not most ways. So are you saying that this woman has to submit to this inferior man? Well, God says that if this brilliant, gifted woman is not submitting to her own husband, then she is sinning. Whatever her gifts are, she's still to submit to her husband. What if you have really gifted children? Do you think they need to submit to you? But they're so gifted. They're brilliant. You're the parent. They're the child. That relationship does not exempt your children from needing to submit to their parents. Jesus was equally gifted with the Father, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. This brings us to an important point that I want to make to single women and girls. I don't care what your gifts are. You have no right as a Christian to marry, no right to answer that important question, will you marry me, with an I will. In fact, you can't even think about marrying a particular man unless you are prepared to submit to him as your head. Don't say I do unless you also mean I will voluntarily submit. Just don't say it. Don't go there. This is a voluntary submission, the same way Christ submitted himself. You are to imitate him, and unless you're prepared to do so, and convinced that you can do so with this man, then you should not marry him. That's why you must take your time and be picky. Listen to friends and family and pastors. Till death do us part is a long time. Peter instructs in chapter 3, verse 1, 1 Peter, Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Now this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. This is the case of a woman, a Christian woman married to, an, has an unbelieving husband. So this is from the lesser to the greater. If this is true of a woman who is married to an unbeliever, then how much more is it true of a woman who's married to a believer? This, this conduct, this is conduct in her that, is, that uh, is so obviously godly that an unbelieving husband gets the message of the gospel without her saying a word. He can see it. It oozes out of her. This chaste conduct is accompanied by an attitude of fear or respect. This woman's beauty isn't found simply by looking at the way she dresses and presents herself physically. This is not mere window dressing. Rather, it is a matter of the heart and attitude. You will need the Bible, not a mirror, to see this person. Nevertheless, this attitude manifests itself in a quiet and gentle spirit. Under your breath, I heard a few, oh no. 
Um, oh no. Um, well, let me say, this is not speaking about her timidity or her spunky personality, but rather the attitude toward her husband. The outward expression of this submissive attitude is seen in the way she obeys and the way she addresses her husband. Sarah obeyed Abraham, Peter says, calling him Lord. And you can follow in Sarah's footsteps, that is, you can become her daughters, he says, if you do likewise. Now, he's not talking about acting like your husband is your head or simply genuflecting or offering some token title here. Peter is directing wives to demonstrate their submission to their husbands, both by their obedience and by the way in which they speak to him respectfully. They show respect. Submission to your husband means you show this attitude and conduct at every point. Remember the Bible talks a number of places about a contentious woman. When your husband establishes rules for the household, you set out to implement them and uphold them. When he gives you responsibilities for various tasks in the household, you work hard to do those jobs well. When he teaches you doctrine, you show a ready and teachable spirit, submitting to his spiritual leadership. You have, if you have a theological question, the Bible says to wives, let them ask their own husbands at home. Well, what if he doesn't know? Then your question hopefully will push him to find answers. If you're, you're not submissive to your own husbands when you go behind his back and discuss your disagreements with others in the church, you're obligated to submit with all the attitudes that implies. Even when you disagree with his decision, though you are certainly free to question and offer objections, yet that must be done also with a respectful and submissive heart. That's the hard part. Submission is tested when there's disagreement. It's easy to submit when I think it's a good idea. That's the point where God, where trusting God is essential. Remember, we're doing this under the Lord. Lord, I think he's an idiot today. I don't, this is worrying me. I'm afraid. I don't, I don't think he knows what he's doing. I've appealed to him, and I've prayed for him, and I've urged him, and I've done everything I know to do, and he seems, you know, hell-bent on making this decision. Are you ready to give that to God? He knows that, right? You ready to trust him? You say, this is unreasonable. I agree. There's a lot of things the Bible requires of me that I think are unreasonable. That's why God didn't put me in charge. He told me to trust him. That's not unreasonable, is it? Is it really unreasonable to trust God? He said, but this seems impossible. Yeah, well, how does he do with impossible? How has he done with impossible? So far, so good? Trust him. Yeah, but I'm scared. Yeah, well, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Your relationship with God is intimately tied to your relationship with your husband. 
The wife must respect her husband, and this is not a conditional requirement. God doesn't say, respect your husband if he's respectable, any more than he says to husbands, love your wife if she's lovable. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't wait till we were lovable to love us? He loved us in spite of what we are, not because of what we are. Ephesians 5.33 says, see to, let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. It's her responsibility. She needs to see to it. Make it a point. Wives, do you think you would be more lovely or lovable if your husband loved you more? Well, do you think he would, be, he would work to be more respectable if you showed him more respect? Now, I'm going to resist the temptation this morning to have an invitation and invite all the wives up who have been unsubmissive to their husbands to confess. But I am going to ask you to search your hearts. I know it's not easy. Living with anybody is not easy. And living with men is is worse. And living with your man may be especially bad. So I'm not making light of this at all. It is an, that's why it takes such strength. It's strength of character and faith in God and wisdom. You're not wimpy. You're not weak. This is, this is an important, critical thing for the health of your family and the church and the future. And so let's take this to heart. We will continue this part of the conversation next Lord's Day uh, as we work our way through this passage. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the wives and the future wives in this congregation. They are your precious daughters and have been called by you to occupy a critical role in your mission to fill the earth with your glory. They face the challenges of their own hearts, as well as many external challenges, including the men they married. Grant them wisdom, grace, and strength to trust and obey you. May they be the helpers that you call them to be, even in difficult situations. May they be one of the means of sanctification for their husbands, and may their hearts be turned toward their husbands. May the beauty of their holiness be manifest for all to see and admire. Protect them and bless them for their labors in the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we heard a sermon about the submission of wives to husbands, but as I mentioned, the Bible speaks to all of us about submission of various sorts. None of us like the notion of submission because it means that we're not on the throne. But we were not made to sit on every throne, but rather to be bondservants of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we prepare to renew covenant with him, as we come to the Lord's table, let us consider some of the ways he has called us to represent him in the world this coming week. So as we head out the door this morning... With the benediction, we're going somewhere, we're going to our homes, we're going to different places. And I want to read from Titus chapter 2 that just delineates some of the particulars. In other words, it's not, it's not up in our heads somewhere, it's not, this is not just abstract, this is down to earth, the kinds of things we actually need to do. 
But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things." Adorning doctrine. The doctrine of our God, the gospel, is already beautiful. It's beautiful all by itself. But he says, I want you, you're my trophies, you're, my, you're the people I saved. Now I want you to, to be the background. I want you to dress it up. I want you to point to the gospel. and Make people see it. Make it lovely. Don't detract from it. Don't distract from it. So in whatever role God has called you and placed you right now in life, go represent him by being a servant, by loving, by manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, and all these things we just read about in Titus. So as we come to the table today, and as we pray and meditate upon what the Lord's done for us, now we go out and show our love for him by living in this manner. Our great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, you are the faithful one, and today we bless your holy name and lift it up high with praise and adoration. For you and your mercy condescended to us. You sent your Son. God became a man, that we might have a mediator, that we might be saved from our sins, that we might have peace with you. Indeed, you have remembered your covenant, and we bow with grateful hearts. Send us forth, O Lord, with your blessing and with your strength. Help us to remember your covenant as well, that we might dwell forever in the house of the Lord. Bless this Lord's Day for your glory and for our good, our feast, our fellowship, and our rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. Amen.